Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. Alyssa, what is the most humane way to euthanize a conversation? A yawn. <laughs> oh, you think that's going to end it? Sometimes looking at your watch, faking a Zoom you have. <laughs> <laughs> faking a phone call? Yeah, sure. I th- Like faking getting a text message and saying like, I'm sorry, I got to... Whatever. So sorry, I gotta go. But like, I, I'm I'm talking like, what's a topic you can bring up where people are gonna be like, I don't want to talk to oh. this person anymore. Uh, Donald Trump. I think he's the quickest way to kill a convo. Yeah, yeah. I think Donald Trump recession. I think if you talk about recession, also good. Also among regular, among just normal people that who you know, it's not their job to talk and write about politics and current events, bring up recession. People are going to be like, all right, well, gotta get good going. to see you. Catch you another, next time you're at the Agway. Another one was, um, my, my kid recently had pink eye bringing up pink eye is a really <gasps> good way. That to is end tremendous. Thank you. Except Thank just you. call it conjunctive itis to be more dramatic and yes. feel more contagious. Yes, absolutely. This week we're joined by representative Becca Ballant, Juanita Tolliver and Shaniqua McClendon to take on the following questions. Why can't we wait until 2023 is over to start with all the 2024 talk? What's the go-to karaoke song when you're a member of Congress? Is it time to retire the way we talk about political spouses? And what the duck is going on with autocorrect? All this and more right now. This is Hysteria, the podcast that looks at the world and asks, are you fucking serious? (laughs) (laughs) Ah, <laughs> uh, it's true. What's up this week, Alyssa? What's up for news? Aaron, you and I have said for weeks, we don't want 2024 starting until 2024, but we're being forced to pay attention because it's everywhere. I and it. I am not afraid to admit that because I do feel like we need to know the enemy, right? So I have been watching some of these town halls. I have been paying attention and uh, let me say, if we were not aware, Nikki Haley is terrible for women. Okay. Terrible for women. Okay. She was an artful dodger during her CNN town hall. And at first blush, I will admit, was sounding terrifyingly reasonable. But she's not. During the event, she said she doesn't want people who get abortion to face the death penalty. Thanks, oh, girl. Wow, but she so does. Reasonable. But she does support a six-week abortion ban, which we've made clear is stupid and could still result in jail time. She also said she believed abortion was a personal choice, but again, six-week abortion ban. Uh, She also said that one in three teenage girls are suicidal because of trans women in sports, which is just funny considering about 1.4% of U.S. youth ages 13 to 17 are trans. She also said that trans women in sports are the greatest threat to women this generation. What? Aaron. Okay, Nikki, Aaron. you love you love women's sports so much. Name three professional women's sports teams. That's all I'm asking. Name three That's, professional women's sports teams. If you she care can't. about women's sports so much. Ugh. She, anyway. She also, she attacked Trump. She attacked DeSantis. Very enjoyable. But in general, was just holy wolf in sheep's clothing vibes. Saying you thought January 6th was a bad day and that Trump thought it was a good day does not make you an American hero. <laughs> No. Oh, man. And then later this week, and I don't know if it's pay attention or mute your televisions and Twitter feed, which I think you and I aren't even really on Twitter anymore. 
Trump, Pence, and DeSantis will speak at the uh, North Carolina GOP convention, along with the likes of Blast from the Past, Christian Coalition founder Ralph Reed. Whoa, uh, that is oh, a blast. he's back. He's, he's back. back. See, Ugh. he's considered the, a headliner. Only the good die young, Alyssa. Honestly. Uh, and just in case... I mean, I think this could maybe be a little funny, but just as the Fulton County prosecutor's election interference probe heats up in Georgia, Trump and other election deniers will take the stage at the GOP conference this weekend with a Friday night keynote from Nut Nut Carrie Lake. Oh, God. It is GOP news is so boring and so awful. But at the same time, it's like they take up all the oxygen News outlets can't help but talk about them, and they're not even unique or funny anymore. Like in 2016, it was like, oh, my God, can you believe what Trump is saying? They all say it now. It's not unique. It's not anything. It's just fucking racist and bad. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 like disappointing but not unexpected. Um, there's a lot going on in the states right now. Like yeah. and and I feel like national media is so horny to cover national candidates that they're not like I don't know, man. Like we talked about Minnesota last week. Yeah. We, you know, there's stuff a lot of stuff happening in Texas, Florida. You know, we don't really get much contextual coverage from national news outlets. I mean, I would say there's some exceptions. Um but instead we're covering like every time Nikki Haley takes a dump. Like, and, like, who even knows if she's going to be a candidate in two months? Like, remember Scott Walker? Oh, was, Scott he, Walker, Michelle Bachman, everybody. There, are, there is so much ebb and flow. Remember Trump at the beginning of 2016? Yeah, no, or in 2015. It was June 2015. 2015, right. And, and, like, Scott Walker, when he came into the the race in July 2015, was viewed as, like, he was going to be the front Anointed, yes. And then he, then he dropped out, like, less than a Kardashian later. It was like literally a couple weeks. Like, And I got to say, the threshold that the RNC has announced for making the debate stage for the big GOP debates, oh, Lordy, they're going to be three tiers of those debates. Aaron, they're going to start at noon before they get to the prime time. There are going to be so many. Here's something that I don't get about the six-week abortion ban, if we can talk about that for a second. Mm. First of all, it's you really only been pregnant for two weeks. When you're right. six weeks pregnant, you have only physically been pregnant for two weeks. And right. a lot of people don't even know they're pregnant. Um, I'm just going to – I'm going to go ahead and say that I think a six-week abortion ban will actually lower the birth rate. And here's why. Um, because I think if you have longer to think about it, like you're not going to like if you find out you're pregnant and you're not sure you want to be pregnant, but it's a six week abortion ban and you're just going to like you're like, you know what? I'm on the fence, but like I just six weeks, not a big deal, not that much time out of my life. I think if the I think that when people have a more humane amount of time to think about it, it also gives them time to make a decision that makes sense for them. I'm not saying that people are going to change their minds, but like if you have a decision between two things and one will dramatically change your life and one will dramatically not change your life and you have two weeks to make the decision, the safer decision is the one that will dramatically not change your life, right? Right. I think that this will make a lot of people who would have otherwise chosen eventually or gotten to a point where they're like, okay, I'm comfort- I I want to have this this baby – I think that this is going to force them to choose to have an abortion, like, earlier than— Yeah. And and they wouldn't have otherwise. Um, I, I don't well, think— Well, their hand is being forced. 
Exactly. Exactly. Like, I mean, if you put yourself in that situation and you're like six weeks pregnant, you got to make the decision by then, you're just, you're going to do it, you know? Yeah. Like, I would think so. (laughs) I I guess they're just counting on women not being able to access, you know, things. If what they're trying to do is to goose the birth birth rate and make people, force people to give birth, um, a six-week abortion ban is only going to to cause more abortions, honestly. Um, And then more unsafe abortions because then once people, if people miss the deadline and they're like, I don't want to have this baby, they will do, stop it basically nothing. They will still have an abortion. Exactly. They will stop, they'll still have an abortion. The, the, the horse is out of the barn there. People know right. how to do it. Like that, that cake is baked. You're not, you're not going to be able to like make it so that people suddenly don't know how to self-administer right. an abortion. Um, okay. Yeah. Nikki Haley does suck. I honestly, if she were a man, she would be a lot more fearsome as a candidate. Um, I think that that is because of the GOP I don't think the GOP base will elect a woman who has any sort of vibes of reasonableness ever. Yeah, no, I think that's right. They're more Carrie Lake than Nikki Haley. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Carrie Lake would get a lot further in Republican primaries than a Nikki, Nikki Haley. Um, ooh, this is a fun, this is a fun one. Um, we're going to talk about our pal Harlan Crow. <laughs> Suddenly everywhere. Oh. Suddenly everywhere. Um, I'm just going to quote the Jezebel article that that was about this because it's it's brilliant writing. Here's an extremely cursed sentence. Billionaire and Clarence Thomas benefactor Harlan Crow donated $500,000 to Barry Weiss to start an anti-woke nonprofit. Weiss is one of two journalists Elon Musk handpicked to report out the Twitter files and founder of the quote independent, not independent, transform, transphobia peddling outlet, the free press. The nonprofit, Alyssa, get a load of this. This is what it's going to be called. FAIR, the Foundation Against Intolerance and Racism. Hey, I agree with those things. I think intolerance and racism are bad. Hey, that sounds However, great, right? Interesting. However, interesting. Har- Harlan Crow, notorious Nazi artifact collector. <laughs> hmm. Well, huh. Where that makes sense. Okay. Hmm. I'm scratching my chin here. Um, I feel as though, much like if there were a club called the Sex Havers Club, you'd be like, no one in this club has sex. Um, (laughs) I feel like the people who are interested in FAIR, the Foundation Against Intolerance and Racism, are actually, in fact, opposite. They are super in favor of intolerance and racism. Uh, The thing that I think is the funniest about this dumb thing, first of all, Barry Weiss is not smart enough to do this. Um, She's just not. Just, Uh, it's exhausting. The level of confidence that she has is in it's like ridiculous it's like man confidence which is why like i've told you before Alyssa, i think we need to strive not for a world where all women have the confidence of men but where men have less confidence i think men yes. should their confidence should come down to the confidence of the average woman because otherwise we get this dumb shit um barry weiss wanted fair oh. to replace the aclu can you imagine? Could you imagine saying that shit out loud? Yeah. Um, cool. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna replace uh I don't know. What's what's something I could pot Really, replace? really don't want Barry Weiss deciding my civil liberties. No. <laughs> Thank you so much. Other people and here, in case you're just like, I don't know, give Barry a shot. Here are other people that were on the fair board of advisors. Oh. 
<laughs> Former Fox host and Caucasian Santa enthusiast Megan Kelly, um, <laughs> disgraced writer Andrew Sullivan, and activist Christopher Rufo. Alyssa, if you were like sitting in a waiting room and you looked around and you saw that the other people in the waiting room were Megan Kelly, Andrew Sullivan, Christopher Rufo, and Barry Weiss, what would you think? That ZocDoc had failed me. <laughs> <laughs> I would think I'm in hell. I'm dead. Yeah. I'm in hell. I mean, I'm at the wrong doctor. <laughs> I am yes, this is the wrong wherever wherever I am. And I do Aaron, let us let us not forget other million dollar donor Susie Edelman, who wrote in an email. Sex-based rights matter. Single sex spaces for women and girls must be protected. Transgenderism is a fiction designed to destroy. What, Susie? <laughs> What are you talking about, Susie? No kids care. Like, here's here's a like no. it's all these like creepy old people being like, girls don't want this. And it's like, I don't know. Why don't you have a conversation with some actual human girls and get a sense of how they feel about their classmates that are trans or non-binary? Like, why don't you do that? But I don't think they actually care about no. what is no. best for children. They just want to erase. LGBTQ people from existing. What um, an exhausting endeavor we had to learn something about. Yeah. I Can I just like get those brain cells back? Ugh. What, what else is going on, Alyssa? Oh, you know what? Fucking Amazon. Like, honestly, I just wonder what PR people at Amazon do other than make somewhat bad decisions. Amazon fired Jennifer Bates, a worker and union organizer from Bessemer, Alabama. Okay. She had been on medical leave. You may remember her, Erin. She was the face of the movement down in Alabama. We saw her on TV all the time. She's been on medical leave. Amazon terminated her job because she hasn't been working despite her leave being protected. Uh, according to the retail wholesale and department store unit, uh, union, she will appeal, which she should do. Bates, here's the best part. She's not the first union organizer that's been fired from that exact Amazon Fulfillment Center. Daryl Richardson, who many say started the union drive in Bessemer, was fired back in January. And in other union news to watch, UPS, which is responsible for transporting 6% of the GDP in the United States with its 340,000 workers, may strike at the end of June. Oh, I like our UPS guy. I love I, my I, UPS people. It's I, like I hope, you know, I'm glad they're unionized. Unlike other uh, package delivery services, UPS right. is actually unionized. Something tells me that Amazon is going to hope that the UPS settles their uh, negotiations so there's not a strike. <laughs> yeah, Just saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we've got this week's interview. And Alyssa, I hear you're flying solo. Only because you let me. Welcome back to Hysteria, the podcast where there is always madness to our method. Our guest today is the first female and first queer congressperson from Vermont. Before heading to Washington, she was a member of the state Senate, helping to pass gun laws and make affordable housing more accessible. She's also a mom, a teacher, and a rock star at karaoke, which we will get to. Please welcome Representative Becca Phelan. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. 
First, I love Vermont, the Green Mountain State. You may not know this about me, but I was a proud catamount at the University of Vermont in my early college years. I I did not know that. Oh, yes. I have spent a lot of time in the great Green Mountain State. I campaigned for Bernie, and I met Howard Dean when he was going dorm to dorm registering voters. Becca, I have always thought that Vermont is the best state, but how is it that you're the first woman elected to Congress from Vermont? Yes, I know. I get asked that a lot. So, you know, we only have, we're tiny. We're schminky, as my son says. We're schminky. (laughs) We only have three uh, members of Congress total, right? So we have one House member and two senators. And we've been well served for years. And uh, Senator Leahy was in the Senate for almost 50 years. Bernie's right. had a long career. Uh, now Senator Welch was in the House prior, so there is, um, you know, there's an an issue just in terms of what uh, seats are open, and you know there is that thing about sexism and what people think women can do. There, you know, there's that as well, um, and I. I just couldn't be more proud to be the first woman, the first queer person to represent Vermont. And yes, it was it was long overdue, but um, we've been well served. Both things are true. You just mentioned you're also only one of three queer women in the house. Yes. How yes. do you all celebrate Pride? Oh uh, well, we we do like to do karaoke. At least <laughs> two. two Two of the three of us do. Um, But we also, it's funny, the three of us also play on the bipartisan women's softball team, which I know is like so stereotypical. It's insane. But like, yeah, the the three queer women are playing on the softball team. And and Are you kidding? (laughs) Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, especially when she was in the house, one of my good friends, she she was always on the softball team. So. Oh, yeah. She's the pitcher. For everybody. Yeah. Yeah. She pitches for us. Yes. Yeah. She says it's one of the greatest times, one of the greatest parts of being a member. I agree. It is a fun time. Seven o'clock in the morning, all of us together on on the field. It's pretty fun. It's dedication. Speaking of dedication, conservatives have currently been making it their life's work to attack LGBTQ rights, especially the rights of trans kids, with a lot more vitriol lately than even we're used to. What has it been like fighting their queer phobic bills in the House? Oh, it's awful. It's absolutely awful. And, you know, one of the things I would want your listeners to know is this didn't happen by accident. This was planned. This was a strategic uh, decision that was made by the GOP. Who are we going to go after next? And the New York Times did a really great profile of this um, probably a month and a half ago. And so they really wanted to find an issue that would rally their base. And what they picked on uh, are trans kids and their families. That's, I mean, it is completely cynical and cruel. And to see it day in and day out, is very disheartening. But the thing that has been giving me a lot of strength and inspiration is when those families come to Capitol Hill to talk to us about their experiences and what they need from us to stand up for them as Americans and as parents. And so one of the hardest parts for me is seeing that um, the GOP will bring this issue into any committee hearing, even if it has nothing to do with trans rights, queer rights, you know, pride, whatever. Like, for example, yesterday on a hearing related to um, known as ESG investing principles, right? We're talking about investments and they managed to bring it into that. It, It's constant, it's cruel, and it was 
completely and totally premeditated. And I'm just glad that I'm here as as a voice for people who, who don't feel like they have a voice right now. And it's some of the most important work I'm doing right now, honestly. Do you have any allies on the other side of the aisle? I mean, is everyone basically just towing the party line, I guess, if this is the party line? Or are there any people who are willing to work with you and acknowledge that this is utterly uh, abhorrent? We haven't heard those voices. We haven't heard, not, not, not here on, on Capitol Hill. Uh, they had, you know, unanimous votes on their anti-trans bills um, some weeks ago. The only Republican I can think of nationally that has staked out a position that is is much um, more more kind and understanding is the Republican governor of Utah, uh, Cox. Um, he had some really great statements, but he is a lone voice right now. On Tuesday, a judge narrowly blocked a Florida ban on gender-affirming care for trans kids, including a statement that said, quote, gender identity is real. What can we take away from this small victory? Well, I was actually with the the kids and and parents when that ruling came down, and we were talking about it in the room, and they do feel like it is a, a glimmer of hope. But I think there is a real strong misunderstanding nationwide about what we mean when we say gender affirming care, because gender affirming care at a young age is really as simple as a parent, a teacher, um, a role model in a child's life saying, you know, to that uh, young man or woman, I see you, I love you, you know, whatever your identity is, I'm going to be here for you. And that's what the majority of what we're talking about at the younger ages when we say gender affirming care. And it's only much later with lots of conversations with uh, primary care providers and psychologists and the parents, if there is a, a next step around um, puberty blockers or anything like that. But the, the basic essence of this is showing kids love and support. And that should not be something that we're talking about here in Congress, honestly. Definitely not. It's something that probably should be handled at home or in schools where they also just want to ban everything and make sure that kids don't have support anywhere they are going. That's right. I mean, this is the party of freedom, right? Supposedly. And they're banning so books. Much and they're talk- <laughs> so much freedom. I'm 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 so tired of the amount of freedom I have right now. It's really good it's- that they're they're really uh putting some restrictions on it because it's it's gotten a little too crazy. It's true. I mean, thank God they've gone so far as to ban that fascist Judy Bloom from being in libraries. <laughs> it's terrific. Yes, that's right. Okay. Becca, I am a lifelong Springsteen fan. I know that you can't start a fire without a spark. There's been incredible footage of you singing karaoke on Twitter. A little Bruce Springsteen dancing in the dark, some other stuff. You have been karaokeing with members of Congress. Your enthusiasm is real. What do you love? And like, I have to say, like, I watched all the videos. You crush karaoke. What are your go-to karaoke (laughs) songs and why do you love it so much? Oh, these are great questions. (laughs) Um, First of all, I'm a very joyful person. And and I have to find my joy even in this really hard job. And I, I love getting people to laugh and sing along whatever it is that I'm doing. And so karaoke is great for that. So I have, um, 
one go-to song that I love to do with my, my colleague, Sharice Davids, um, we sometimes do ACDC, You Shook Me All Night Long, which is, <laughs> we, we crush, we crush. You bring the house um, down with that one. Yeah. So I love that one. I love um, Thunder Road and Born to Run are, are, are really good ones, but I'm also, you know, I'm, I've been known to do a Dolly Parton number or Spice Girls. Um, I, I pretty much, uh, Garth Brooks, I, I'm there for you. Whatever it is that you need me to do, you know, whether it's in a group or a duo, um, I, just, <laughs> I just love to be joyful. Yeah. I have to tell you, for all of the years uh, when I worked in the White House, in my office, it was known that there was usually a 5 p.m. dance party. Like we knew we weren't going home anytime soon. I would crank yes. up the radio. I always had music on. And for 15 minutes, we would just dance to whatever. And it honestly made everything so much better. And when one of my dear colleagues left, he wanted to do a karaoke party. And so we went for karaoke, and Jen Saki and I made the biggest karaoke fail of all time. Oh, we I did Proud Mary. We did Proud <laughs> Mary, two adorable white girls, and it was seven minutes long. And by the end, we were legitimately winded. I was like, that was a terrible idea, Saki. What did we do? So I have been loath to do anything more than like two minutes when I have karaoke. Right. Well, I, I really appreciate everything that you just said right now, because sometimes <laughs> there, there is um, a number that doesn't, doesn't quite work. And especially if you're, you're trying to catch your breath and, you know, we have dance parties in this office here too. Um, usually they're just five minutes long, but I will, I will yeah. make my, my very <laughs> awkward staff come in. Sophie, the comms person, she will always be ready to dance. Other people just kind of do these, like, uh, you know, we're kind of dancing oh. like, no, no. Come on, get it out. Get Listen, it out. when I took dance classes when I was quite small, my mother always said that my enthusiasm trumped my skill. So <laughs> that's, yeah. I think, how everyone should live their dance lives. Wait, I have one last question for you before we let you go. Yes. We understand that your wife is an opera singer. She is. Do you two harmonize at karaoke? Do you harmonize? She, well, so here's the thing about my wife. She is an attorney by day, but at night, she is not only an opera singer, she is an aerial fabric artist. So That's amazing. She does them together. So she's going to be performing at the Providence Fringe Festival uh, next month. Um, and she's going to be up in the silks on, on her aerial circus rig singing opera. And so um, we, we do sing together. Not opera, but we both play guitar and we sing. And um, actually, oh my, we, we could have a whole other conversation. We had <laughs> um, a whole series of historical parodies that we wrote when I was no. a middle school teacher. Yeah, so I got a million of them. Um, and so we, we did a lot of singing together. And my son, who's 15 now, has just started to learn about them. And he said the other day, you wrote us song about the black plague i was like yes it was very catchy it was to free to be you Shut and me up. and i mean we were ahead of our time <laughs> let me tell you something proof that vermont should have sent a queer woman to congress ages ago congresswoman becca ballant thank you so much for joining us here on hysteria thank you so much i really appreciate it have me back oh we'll have you back
And welcome back. You're listening to Hysteria, which is a safe space for the people we like. Speaking of two people we like, Alyssa, let's just bring in our panel right away because this is going to be a fun day. Our first panelist is a political strategist, opinion writer, MSNBC political analyst, and host of Crooked's What A Day podcast. Evidently, she can do it all. Juanita (laughs) Tolliver, welcome to Hysteria. Hey, y'all. Thanks so much for having me. I'm ready to fuck some shit up. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes, that is the energy we need today. Our next panelist is Crooked's VP of Politics. She and her team are working to raise money to fight anti-trans legislation with Vote Save America's Fuck Bans Leave Queer Kids Alone Fund. You know her, you love her. Shaniqua McClendon, welcome back to Hysteria. Hi, thank you for having me. These are like three of my favorite ladies, so I'm really excited. (laughs) This is a fun group. If only we could be like in IRL in one studio. Imagine. Imagine imagine the shit that would get fucked up (laughs) under those Imagine the state of the studio after we left it. (laughs) We would be like an 80s hair metal band, except with like (laughs) leaving things nicer than when we first got there. Um, I feel like we're all, we're a conscientious group. Okay. So I really wanted to talk about political spouses and political, you know, plus ones, if you will, because a few weeks ago there was a um, post on uh, Politico that got a lot of flack about Casey DeSantis. Um, And it sort of hit all of the familiar sour notes that we're used to when we read profiles of political spouses, uh, where it's like, this person is the politician's secret weapon or behind the scenes, they're quietly pulling the levers. And I'm not defending Casey DeSantis in any way, shape or form because I I don't know her (laughs) and she seems bad, but she seems like she's got some defenders. So she's like, she's got, she's, (laughs) she's got some defenders, some of which are bots. But what I'm, what I would like to do instead (laughs) is attack the form of the political the way that we talk about political spouses, because I used to have this editor when I worked at the Daily Beast, uh, Jackie Kucinich, who is uh, still kind of in the political media game. She's a great lady. Um, But she used to automatically kill any pitch that tried to to paint a political spouse as the politician's secret weapon because she found it to be very lazy. And that's something that I've internalized. I, I find it to be lazy as well. But despite the fact that 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 positioning of the political spouse is kind of lazy. There's no denying the fact that political spouses are super powerful, both as, you know, policy forces and cultural forces. You know, we have um, Eleanor Roosevelt used to write a newspaper column called My Day, which was published Monday through Friday. Monday through Friday. Imagine writing a column... Uh, not me. Day. Not no, me. Not gonna <laughs> do especially, it. especially not in 1939. But okay. <laughs> I know. I think the Probably typewriters not. were like <laughs> they would make your fingers buff because like the actual Yeah, it was like weight training for your fingers. <laughs> but she it, it ran Monday through Friday, uh, which is basically like a you know 1930s substack um or 1940s substack. <laughs> And, you know, then we had other people who are genuinely weird in the White House, like Florence Harding was super weird. She was a, a big believer in the occult. Um, she had Wasn't she also a, a teenager? I feel like. Did I get she, that wrong about Harding marrying a teenager? Okay. Now yeah, that you're more the times. Florence Harding was super Florence Harding was the one that was old. She was 60 old. Okay. She was okay, 61. Okay, 
um, when she went into the White House, and she was like obsessed with the occult. She had a clairvoyant. A lot of people were obsessed with the account back then, you know, to be fair. <laughs> but she had a clairvoyant named Madame Marcia read her zodiac. And the and Madame Marcia would like go into trances and warn Florence of anyone in the administration who was like out to get her husband. Yeah, you know, <laughs> just a side of paranoia to start your day. Okay, <laughs> I mean, nothing like when the Ouija board is front and center. Yeah, yeah. There's there's something that's kind of like charming and old timey about that era's um, obsession with the occult and like clairvoyance and you know uh, seances and stuff. But you know, also Nancy Reagan had a White House yes. astrologer. Um, but then on the the more serious side and the more cultural side, like Michelle Obama, every time she wore anything in public yeah. that was off the rack, it would go completely out of stock. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. She made, I mean, she made Philip Lim. Like, <laughs> like she did. A hundred percent. And I remember when she she wore something from White House Black Market, and yep. that I can I can yeah. picture that dress. <laughs> Was there, there one? There was some J. Crew stuff, right? That, yeah, that was the J. inauguration. Yeah, and all of and Sasha and Malia wore J. Crew oh, yeah. for the inaugura- the first inauguration. I'm and into we it. all and we all remember it. Like that's that's yeah. like impact. I mean, I, look, I, I don't think that I, I think that there the two we can hold two ideas at once, which is that it's more important to pay attention to like what's going on in policy in the country, and also that first ladies and political spouses are massively influential, regardless yeah. of whether they're influencing policy. Um, my favorite first lady anecdote is on the campaign trail in 1992, before she had her own like front and center political career. Hillary Clinton um, was just like a groovy lady who had like, mm-hmm. you know, who, <laughs> yeah. ha- who had her own thoughts and her own feelings. And and that made a lot of people uncomfortable. Um, she had a quote during a press gaggle uh, that was uh, somebody asked about her career. And she said, you know, I suppose I could have stayed home and baked cookies and had teas. But what I decided to do was fulfill my profession, which I entered before my husband was in public life. And I tried very, very hard to be as careful as possible. And that's all I can tell you. So do you guys remember this? I guess maybe some of this crowd is too old. But Alyssa, do you remember this? (laughs) Oh, thanks. Thanks. Of course I remember. Of course. I probably wrote a book report on it, (laughs) Erin. Do you remember the, like, fallout after it happened? I don't remember the fallout. I just remember thinking that at the – so when Clinton ran, I was – I was a sophomore – junior in in high school. And it was just for all of our like little nerdy, politically aware kids whose parents made them watch the nightly news and talk about it over dinner. We just thought she was the coolest, you know, like, because before that, the real memories you had about political spouses were like Nancy Reagan and the astrologer, uh, Nancy Reagan and Dare, and then Barbara Bush and Geraldine Ferraro getting into a fight, you know, like it's, (laughs) oh yeah, Barbara Bush. Barbara Bush, the first lady who most seemed like she would whack you with a purse. Yes. Yeah, guys, my favorite piece of trivia about Barbara Bush is that her Secret Service code name when uh, Bush was vice president was Snowbank. If that doesn't say it all. I don't understand. (laughs) You have to break this down. I'm black and I'm from the South. I don't get it. What is that? (laughs) Snowbank means that she's tough. She's She's a fucking snowbank. She's She's unmovable. Oh, okay. Literally. (laughs) She'll stop you in your tracks. Got it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Exactly right. 
They might as well have named her Brick Shit House. I mean, <laughs> period. Just say yeah. what you want to say. That like, would have been exactly. <laughs> but when you think about it, Hillary, I think Hillary Clinton's code name was Evergreen, and she did remain somewhat evergreen and uh, relevant for the rest of her life. Yeah. Who comes up with these names? Eh, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Most know. of them are reflective of something in their history, something that they either like or have an affin, like an affinity for, that's like keen, uh, relevant to their background. Mm. Okay. Mm. Mm. Well, so after Hillary Clinton made that comment in 1992, there was like the 1992 equivalent of like a shitstorm, because people who, you know, you, you know how it's sort of like just a bad faith contest every time anybody says anything in the political space. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, in 1992, people got really upset that she said she could have stayed home and baked cookies. And so as a way to make up for that gaffe, which I don't even think was it. Oh, a gaffe. God, please don't say yeah. she hosted a tea party and baked some fucking cookies. Did she, she? started the first lady cookie <laughs> bake off? Oh, <laughs> literally, literally. It, be- it was because. America was extremely on. I mean, is continues. America has never not been extremely unchill, but America was extremely (laughs) unchill about that comment that Hillary Clinton made just during a a press gaggle in the in 1992. And so as a result, she started the first ever White House like First Lady Cookie Bake Off, which continues to this day. And in 2016, um, Bill Clinton actually had to submit his cookie recipe. (laughs) <laughs> yes he was the he was you know because oh. hillary was running for president so um Respect. yeah i mean there's there's like these 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 moments of of you know when we talk about first spouses or when we talk about political partners that sort of like end up either reflect both reflecting and causing like cultural movement and so like juanita what is your what's your favorite and most memorable like first spouse moment (laughs) i don't i feel like i'm not sure if it's a moment there's like two things and themes let's go with themes my favorite um first lady theme for uh eleanor roosevelt who we already mentioned is how she stood up for black people like she stood up for one black person in particular in a very public way i'm talking about marion um marion anderson the opera singer who mm-hmm. was looking to perform. She was like, you know, affiliated with Howard University. There were venue after venue were like, nope, nope, you can't do it here. They went to DAR. DAR was like, no, Eleanor Roosevelt took her little My Day column and read those racist heifers for filth. <laughs> and then she made it happen so that Marian Anderson could perform on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. Like, that is why I fuck it's with It's amazing. Her. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. stepping up to call out your own peoples, I'm here for it. I need, I need more of that in my life every day. The other theme I want to emphasize, I know we talked about Michelle LaVon Robinson Obama's <laughs> sweaters, but I want to talk about the way she stood up in her relationship because we know she bent herself and her path multiple times for her husband, who we all know and love, but she did bend. But what she didn't bend on is a firm understanding and awareness of who she was at a human level. And Mm -hmm. that's what I appreciate most. Like, yes, the representation is great. The fashion is great. Her stature is great. But she fully understood exactly who she was. And I would I would say that grounded Barack Obama while he was in the White House to a degree so that she served as that North Star. But it also came through in all of her projects that she's pursuing now. Like that is a theme that I think we can all learn from. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh, waffles and mochi is the most comforting. I love waffles yeah. and mochi. <laughs> I was watching waffles and mochi before I even like had a child to like watch it with. And she's Bless. not even old enough to really, she like likes the puppets. Like she doesn't understand what's going on or whatever. But I'm sort of like, look, like you shouldn't be encouraging a child to watch TV. But I'm like, hey, you want to watch waffles and mochi <laughs> This is me? where you can get your screen time because yes. it's worth it. <laughs> yes, 100%. Wow, um, I have never even heard of that, but oh, noted. Next <laughs> we got to bring you up to speed. Oh, my God. Oh, Shaniqua. It is two Children's puppets. Children's programming, where are you? Two puppets who work in a grocery store where Michelle Obama also works. And the puppets fly around the world exploring different types of foods and the way that they're used in different types of cuisines. And it is a delight. There's like zero notes. They go to Peru to examine potatoes. I will talk more offline. I'll I'll like send you my favorite waffles emoji episode. It's so good. Um, Shaniqua, on that note, what are your favorite kind of high notes when it comes to, I guess, instead of like just first ladies, like just political partners? Because this is, you know, Casey DeSantis is not the first lady. That is a... Cursed right. thought. How did we jump there already? Um, it is a cursed thought. But but I think that in any presidential campaign, they cover the spouses as potential first ladies. So that's kind of how it all yeah. kind of fits together. Yeah. So what are your what are your high notes when it comes to um, political spouse moments? Yeah. Well, Juanita definitely um, took uh, the person I wanted to f- reflect on a little. So I'll just add a little bit more, and then and then throw in someone else. But. Um, Similarly to what Juanita said, like Michelle Obama really standing in who she was, the fact that she, you know, had an advanced degree, she had two Ivy League degrees and did not like shrink into, oh, I'm just, you know, I don't want to diminish being, you know, a wife and mother because that's important. Um, But if I'm not mistaken, I think all of the first ladies were wives and mothers. Um, And so I'm probably mistaken about some older ones, but in recent history. (laughs) um, And that seemed to kind of just be the focus of their lives, their children and and their husbands who are president. But she really, you know, we knew that she had these advanced degrees as she was working on like Let's Move and the uh, community garden that they had at the White House. Like all of that was in specific alignment with policy goals that she wanted to see. And so it didn't feel fluffy and you know, just kind of off to the side, like she was actually trying to advance an agenda. And you saw that she was doing that because Republicans went crazy. I mean, the things that they were saying about what she was trying to do to school lunch and, you know, just ridiculousness. Um, And then and Shaniqua, just to put a fine point on it. And the first thing that the Republicans did when they took office, fucking Donald Trump, was destroy (sighs) school lunches and everything she stood for. Like it was really like, yeah. It's giving vindictive little shits. (laughs) Come on. It's like not cool, Petty. It's just like, wait, you're going to like take this out on the children? Yeah, exactly. and I'm sure none of these people have had to suffer through a school lunch. Y'all remember those Thank rectangle you. pizzas? I know. Uh, with the, the little pepperoni. Cups. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the highlight of the week for me. Oh, oh pizza day like was the good pizza? Totally. Oh, my bad. Square my bad pizza day? Please. <laughs> no, they, no to, they were awful, but it was the best thing out of everything else. Yes. Fair. Noted. Except, there was also chicken cutlet and mashed potato day, but that was you not, that was not every week. 
We ain't yeah. get that well, where I live. <laughs> Idaho spuds, girl. Idaho spuds. My grandma was a lunch lady in my school when I was yes, like in early awesome. elementary school. And I thought it was so awesome that my grandma was a lunch lady. And my grandpa was a janitor. So I thought it was I like so cool because I got to see them every day. And like when I would say, yeah, I don't know, nice. everyone, everyone would say, hi, hi, janitor Jim, because his name is Jim. <laughs> and Aww. I would say, hi, grandpa. And I was like, I'm the coolest one. I'm related to <laughs> Period. Um, Period. My my grandma, when she was there, did try to make to, to try to put a little zhuzh on the school lunch we had. Like, hey. But it still was cool, man. The foundation <laughs> was the same. <laughs> See the public service Michelle Obama was trying to do. Mm-hmm. Period. Yeah. The, can yeah. I name one other spouse um, of a elected who I like? I got to Aaron interview Aaron Reed. Uh, she is a journalist, a trans activist, and just happens to be the fiance of Montana Representative. Um, Zoe Zephyr. And I got to interview her recently. And the, the my favorite part about that was how Aaron was a direct mirror of the values, the principles, the ideals that Zoe also represents in her work. And the other part that I loved is it emphasized how important the dynamic is between a politician and their partner and their spouse, because that's where you see some real behind the scenes shits come out. Like, so while you have Aaron and Zoe as a positive example of that, I think about the way that Melania Trump would swat mm. away Trump's hand every time he tried to get close to her. Every time she rejected a kiss from that cretin. Like, that's what comes <laughs> to my mind because that lets you know exactly the vibe behind the scenes. Yep. But also back to um, Casey DeSantis, I'm like, oh, you don't trip and fall in love with a white supremacist, anti-trans, no. homophobic man. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to have some alignment there. So I think we yeah. should be asking Choices. those questions, too. Well, mm-hmm. and so much alignment because he has no charisma and seems like the least Zero. charming He's person on the planet. So <laughs> he did not. He did not, like, court her or go seek her out and hit on her and make her feel no. excited. She saw an opportunity. I don't want to prescribe what she saw. Oh, go there. No, don't back down now. Stand on it, Shaniqua. You're going somewhere. I like it. Well, I think it was very clear she saw where he was headed and said, oh, this looks good for me. And look, it's totally fine to choose a spouse based on what you want out of life. And if you have ambitions to be the spouse of a, um, you know, a politician, that's great. But I'm sure there were so many she could have chose from. Like, she's a really beautiful woman. Um, Mm. And she chose DeSantis. But maybe it is because he has no personality and she would have been able to, you know, have a bit more. (laughs) And now she's the secret weapon. (laughs) Well, she's not a secret weapon anymore. She's just a (laughs) plain old weapon. weapon. Um, Alyssa, what are your favorite political spouse uh, moments before we get into dragging? Yeah, so obviously... I got to spend a long time with Michelle Obama, who has famously spoken about how she didn't like her husband for 10 years. So those were great times. Gag. Those were great Every times. Every time I hear it, gag. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. But, you know, I think, okay, so obviously Aaron knows I always weirdly go down rabbit holes. And when I was like, who's like an interesting political spouse that we didn't really know about, but we should? Rebecca Latimer Felton from the great state of Georgia. What? She was the first woman senator. Wait for it. She ran. Her husband was a senator. He had, uh, she ran his campaign. She wrote his speeches. She oh, did wow. all the work. And people came to know her as so smart and, and savvy that when another senator died, she was appointed. And she essentially opened up like the 
the political spouses originally, if they ever came to Congress, they were all widows. So from like 1916 to like 1993, widows had an 84% chance of being elected That's once wild. they filled their spouse's dead seat. Whereas a woman who was not there, was not a widow, only had a 14% chance of winning. Whoa. So Rebecca Latmer Felton, thank Ugh. you for paving the way for widows who could pave the way for... Yeah. other women to run All for Congress. All that's blaring in my mind right now is like, yeah, women do outlive men. So if you do the math, yeah. like just, <laughs> just survive him. <laughs> like, Mary, Mary Young. Um, someone else I just wanted to bring up really quick because I think it really demonstrates the impact that um, spouses can have on you, both good and bad. Elizabeth Edwards, like... Now, oh, obviously... Oh, my God. Buckle <laughs> up. Yeah. Rest in peace. Yeah, yes. Rest in peace. John John Edwards was the villain there. He did all the bad stuff, cheating on her, having a baby outside of their marriage when she's like, you know, dying of cancer. But he will never be able to return to political life because everyone knows what he did to her and how he treated mm -hmm. his spouse. So, you know, I, I think when people, especially when it's a beloved spouse, if uh, the politician is acting up, it can literally ruin their career. Mm -hmm. Period. I mean, Jackie Kennedy. Come yeah. on. Yeah. Just yeah. come on. Yeah. Um, well, let's let's get into um, what I think we've all been waiting for, which was like the low notes on uh, partners. I, I want to start <laughs> by by throwing to you, Shaniqua. Um, I, I was just thinking because Mike Pence on uh, on Wednesday oh, yeah. declared, his, declared his candidacy for president in 2024. Mike Pence, who once famously tweeted the mis at, uh, misattributed Ronald Reagan quote, um, what was it? The, the best place, the, the best thing for the inside of the man is an out, the outside of a horse, which is like a Ugh. quote that was, it was, yeah, yeah. It's a Bestiality real thing, much? Like, that's yeah, what that sounds just, like. Right, but it's, it's not like even a, a thing Ronald Reagan Pegasus. said. So not only is it a, like, Tobias Funke style, like, what did you mean by that? Um, it is a, not, Ronald Reagan didn't say that. He might have said it, but somebody else originally said it. Anyway. Um, Pence is so stupid. He's so awful. He is so awful. But his partner, his wife, um, I don't even remember, Karen Pence. Of course her name is yeah, Karen. Yeah, she, mm -hmm. she would not like being Mother. called his partner. Yeah, right. That's true. Right. She didn't go to wife school for 15 years to not be called <laughs> wife. Um, she, this is actually, um, Mike is actually her second husband. Karen oh, Pence is not. What? No, yeah. more. I want the tea. Did her first husband believe in abortion? Well, he did. Well, her first husband did believe in Cialis because her first husband was actually an executive at the uh, pharmaceutical oh company that developed Cialis. So he helped oversee the development of Cialis. So, so wait, wait, wait. To wow. Shaniqua's point about uh, choosing your political spouse, like tell me how she jumped from pharmaceutical, get it up Cialis man yeah. to Mike Pence who puts mother before all else. Like I don't <laughs> get it. Yeah. I just got to say, maybe she was tired. Maybe she was tired. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, it seems Dead. like she's probably getting lots of rest now, so. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, I feel as though, you know, during the during 2020, the, the campaign, there were moments when it felt as though the Trump campaign was like, uh-oh, everybody hates this. All the women hate Donald Trump and uh, Melania is completely unrelatable to most people in this country. Uh, let's try to get, like, Karen Pence front and center, and she sort of isn't really that, uh, she doesn't really have a ton of riz either. Um, so no. it was sort of just kind of not, it kind of fell flat. Um, 
Uh, Shaniqua, I wonder what you make of Pence entering the fray and if Karen Pence is like the type of person who seems like she has any sort of positive impact on Mike. Um, no, if I remember correctly, she did not want him to be Donald Trump's running mate to begin with. And so I think it's clear he doesn't listen to her. Um, so <laughs> I think having your political spouse listen to you is a really important first step for being, you know, an impactful political wife or, or spouse. But no, I mean, she, their whole relationship is weird. I'm not just putting that on her, but like she has to be there for it to be a weird relationship. And I think people are just always like, what is going on there? The whole he can't be in a room with a woman by himself. That is strange. And I don't know if he's described that as like being deferential to her or respectful to her. But how are you going to be president if you can't be in a room with a woman by yourself, which to me says there will be no woman in leadership in your administration. Nope. And, you know, is she cool with that? Um, and and I feel like she I could be wrong. Does she want to be in the public presence like that? I mean, I've seen Melania, despite it seeming like she did not want to be anywhere near the White House. We saw her. I don't remember mm-hmm. seeing Karen Pence a lot, and I feel like I, I see Doug only Imhoff remember a ton. her yeah. very distinct blowout at the last convention. <laughs> what? Remember, she got a glow up before the convention, oh, and you I said was like, "Blowout!" Oh. I'm thinking cat fight. Okay. Oh <laughs> no! I mean, hair. like her hair. <laughs> That's all I remember because she gave us nothing else to remember. <laughs> Bless. <laughs> You saying that is make me, making me try to remember Sarah Palin's husband. I don't know. There's like my mind somehow got to Sarah Palin from you saying blowout. Yes, but Her now I can't even remember him. Yeah. Mm. He was, if you could just imagine like a guy who would, mm, I'm trying to think, a guy who would wear like a, like a, a snowmobile branded jacket. <laughs> like yes, that guy. Like he's that's I guess I grew up in the north uh, where we had like lots of snowmobiles and like snowmobile. There was a specific type of like snowmobile guy with like a specific snowmobile goatee, you know, like wraparound shades, Twitter guy. I see it. I yeah. See it. He sort of looked like th- like a like a like on the top end of the good looking version of that. And that good looking version of that is still not very good looking. So Yikes. that's uh, yeah, that's what he kind of looks like. Um, and, you know. It's funny because every time I went to this um, like a pro-life women's luncheon at the Did Republican you? convention, and I was <laughs> it. Yeah. Okay. yeah, I was uh, I was having an abortion there. Uh, no, I was covering it in 2012. I did have an abortion like a week and a half later after that, so it didn't do a very Plus, good job. You um, know. Huh. So I was at this. Yeah, I was at this luncheon, and there were all of these like heavy hitter pro-life. Republican women like Pam Bondi, remember the the um, AG Vaguely. of Florida who was like yeah. completely in Trump's pocket. Um, Michelle Bachman was there. Um, I forgot about her. Yeah, R- remember her. And uh, there were a few more, but every single one of them did this thing that Phyllis Schlafly used to do, famous anti uh, equal rights amendment crusader. But Phyllis Schlafly, before she gave public speeches, would sometimes. As a way to like troll feminists, say, I would like to thank my husband for giving me permission to be here today. And all of the <laughs> women at the pro life luncheon did that. And they all thought they were like so clever. Ew. And it was like, I mean, I feel as though, and I could be wrong here, that when the candidate, it, it when we're talking about hetero couples, when the candidate between them is the woman, I don't think 
the their male partner has as much of an advisory role as when the candidate is the man. It, and I think it's because it's easier to be elected, and in some places it's e- it's an easier path to power if, like, the man is just the one who does it, you know, instead of the woman. So, like, I don't know. Does that does that sound like it? Well, I feel yeah. I feel like the men get to opt out if they're a spouse. That part, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Like, like I feel like they get to opt out, and the the women are just either so criticized one way or another that you either pr- participate to defend sort of your place in this mm-hmm. uh, nightmare, or you know you're screwed. But like, who fucking scrutinized Doug Emhoff? Yeah. Yes, no, sorry, no. I couldn't. Guys, I even spaced on his last name. Um, <laughs> or like Amy Klobuchar's husband when she ran for president. Like the when the women, Kirsten Gillibrand's husband. Like who remembers him? Yeah, I, don't I mean, know not because he's not because they're not right. Not because they're not. But like, but you know, it's not the same as the fact that we all know who Ron DeSantis's wife is right now. Huh. It does make me think that there a lot of this kind of notion or the pitches your old boss would put down, Aaron, could be alleviated by having more LGBTQ and, you know, queer couples who are one, either not following any type of heteronormative standards and type of gender identities, or two, fully firm in their identities as just a human being. Because once mm-hmm. we get to that part, that could alleviate a lot of this tension. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about that. I mean, Pete Buttigieg has kind of experienced some of the scrutiny. Pete and his and yeah. his uh, husband have experienced some of the same scrutiny that you see applied to like for like Hillary Clinton. And and I wonder, yeah. Shaniqua, what, what do you what do you make of that? Yeah, I was just going to bring up when um, I don't remember who was criticizing people to judge, but when he took paternity leave because oh, they yeah. had just had you know twins. exactly who was criticizing and- him over that. <laughs> well, it, it was definitely <laughs> it was definitely Republicans. I don't remember the specific person, but yeah. all I kept thinking was, oh, they have put Chastin in the woman's role, and they think that that is who's mm-hmm. supposed to be taking care um, of of the babies. But in reality, one. Men should be taking off time to take care of their newborns. But two, you know, even when you have two men, people were trying to force them into kind of uh, traditional um, gender roles as if this was a couple with a woman and a man. And, you know, it was it was just really interesting to see that even if we are given a high profile political gay couple, Mm. the political system will still say we only recognize one form of being and you're not fitting into it. So we're going to criticize you for it. Mm. Yeah. I remember some really gross, like, oh, what's Pete going to do on paternity leave? Is he going to breastfeed? And it's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Tell me you've never looked up. Yeah, yeah. Like, tell me you've never looked after an infant without telling me. You've never actually looked after an infant. They need more than that. Yes. (laughs) Right. And it was, like, well known at the time, too, that one of the twins was had a health issue and was in the NICU. And so Mm. it's, like, for people to just come out and be like, no, when is it so trashy it's disgusting mm-hmm. it's Ugh. trashy yeah it's it's pretty gross um so i we're kind of like as much as Alyssa, you and i have been like no just give us 2023 before we're another in another presidential <laughs> yeah. election it does feel like we're sort of starting to get into a time when it's just going to be a really annoying 
12 to 15 months. You know, it's starting to get into full swing. And there um, are so many of them. It's there are already yeah. two conventions this week. It's like God's sake, God help us. Oh, yeah. Wait, there's conventions this week? Yeah, what? North Carolina yes, and Georgia, GOP. Oh God. What are they what are they gonna do? Who cares? Straw polls. <laughs> <laughs> Which also, I think what year was it? Two thousand eight that fucking Michelle Bachman won the Iowa straw poll. So yeah. Yeah. I do feel like really we can crazy. gloss over this part of this part of the process. Yeah. There was like I remember Ron Paul winning the CPAC straw poll like five years in a row or something like that. It's like, come on, guys. That's okay, okay guys. Um, what would you like to see throughout this next um, – whether or not we're going to get it is another issue. But what would you like to see throughout this next election cycle uh, when it comes to the way that we talk about political partners and spouses? I think just talk about them like they're, they're people. You know, I mean, yeah, I, it's it's like when you talk about like the thing I hate so much about the secret weapon is because what they're doing is saying that this candidate has shortcomings, but we're going to put it on their spouse to make up for those shortcomings or blame them when the whole thing goes up in flames. Like it is yeah. the most unfair position. If you gave me the choice, I would rather be the politician than the political spouse any day of the week. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Yeah, uh, yeah. We all know that that will never happen unless I run for town council. <laughs> I'm like, what are but we talking about now? Is I'm never giving up my pot, ladies. I'm never giving up my pot. <laughs> Shaniqua, how about you? Um, I, I, I mean, I got to be honest. I would love some like uniformity. Like, either we're talking about everyone's spouse or we're talking about no one's. Um, and like it seems like, you know, you have people like Tim Scott who's not married. So if he doesn't have a spouse to talk about, let's not talk about anyone's spouse. And let's <laughs> not even talk great. about his let's not talk about his sex life either. Like I don't want to hear more about when he lost his virginity. It's like it's none of my business. Wait, was that all. a fucking thing? Is that known? Like 40 something? <gasps> wait, 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 wait. Why did why, why? is that public information? <laughs> I saw that. Where did that come from? I know. Who asked that? No. What a well, weird, no, no. Uh, let's not Google. No Google. We're not doing that. Yikes. Yeah. We are not we're going not down that fucking that. rabbit hole. You not know I can't that. stop myself. <laughs> <laughs> Alyssa, yeah. you absolute monster. Um, <laughs> you know, okay. So what I, what I would like to see is I, I was thinking about how um, – Early in Biden's presidency, I think, uh, people on the right were just really going to town about Dr. Jill Biden being called Dr. Jill Biden because Mm -hmm. she was a doctor in a discipline that wasn't something that involves, like, you know, diagnosing diseases. Like, she has a different – I just found that to be so bad faith and stupid and, like, a smokescreen for attacking – it was just it was just mean and for and yeah. no re- and it was it was cruel and stupid and sexist and, it, and sexist yes and it was a way to uh i felt like there was something behind what everybody was saying and we all saw what it was and it was just like gross and weird and bad and mm-hmm. i think that sometimes people I don't want to both sides this because the right wing is completely out of control and immature yeah. and ridiculous but i think that we don't really gain anything regardless of our ideology if we um f- like fall into these little shit storms about first spouses that really have nothing to do with their spouse's ability to lead 
Uh, yeah. Like I didn't mention Casey uh, DeSantis's gloves she wears everywhere. I actually think they're kind of cool. Like you know, <laughs> your hands, your they're hands very can weird to me. <laughs> your hands. Wait, can... I think it. I wonder the motivation though. Is it because she's a germaphobe? Like, is that what this is about? Well, your hands no, that'd be fair. can. Um, a lot of people like back in the day, you would wear like gloves on your hands as a lady because having like youthful hands was almost as important as like having a young looking complexion. So like oh. she might just be trying to like <sighs> keep her hands looking young, or I don't know. But also, who cares? Also, who cares? You know, it's like right. It has no- like it's we all make fashion choices that the general public, if they were scrutinizing them, would be like, what is she doing? Um, that's and true. That's just one for yeah. her. So, I mean, it's kind of fun to be like, oh, look at this dumb thing that like Melania did or whatever. But like, I just don't want it to suck all the oxygen out of the room in, in 2024. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the fact that like these candidates are who need to be covered. I mean, they are the ones who have these platforms. They're advancing crazy stuff. Like, let's talk about them. I mean, I I mean, what do we actually gain from that Politico piece? Not much. Nothing. We don't get to talk about, you know, I mean, this was said in in the other article um, that you all shared. Was it The Atlantic? Um, It was like The Nation. Oh, The Nation. Yeah. Yeah. Joan, Joan Walsh wrote it. Yeah. I mean, if if Casey was, you know, whipping votes for these awful bills and yeah, I definitely want to know that. But if, if she's just kind of there and advising, I mean, what's wrong with that? I would hope that a spouse knew their politi- political spouse well enough to offer some insight into how they can run a successful campaign. Like, that's not crazy to me. Yeah, I agree. Well, that's a good note to end things on. Uh, I'm sure we'll be talking about political spouses again as we move, as we plod. Uh, as we sulk, trudge, toward, <laughs> trudge, <laughs> as we trudge toward 2024. Uh, but we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, Sanity Corner slash I Feel Petty. Okay, before Sandy Petty, some announcements. It's Pride Month, and the Crooked Store has a whole collection of merch to help you celebrate and fight back. The collection has everything from tees to bags so you can stock up. Plus, a portion of the proceeds will be donated to Crooked's Fuck Bands Fund, which supports organizations working to protect vulnerable people on the ground in states that are banning care and targeting trans youth. So grab an extra tea. You get the thrill of supporting organizers combined with the thrill of buying something online. It's a win-win. Head to crooked.com store to check out the whole Pride collection. Crooked's newest limited series podcast, Dreamtown, the story of Adelanto, has premiered with two episodes out now. Dreamtown is the story of a small California city named Adelanto, known for its massive detention centers and not much else. When a stranger comes to town with a wild idea to make Adelanto great again by becoming the first city in Southern California to legalize commercial weed cultivation, everything changes. Search for Dreamtown, the story of Adelanto, and listen for free wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome to I Feel Petty slash Sanity Corner. It is the part of the show where we talk about things that are keeping us sane or kind of getting stuck in our craw. So let's uh, let's just get into it. Alyssa, what are you feeling petty about or what is making you sane this week? Guys, I have something that's going to make me sane soon. 
which is that after years of trying to send sassy texts and e- texts and emails <laughs> that say ducking instead of fucking <laughs> yeah. in the new iOS 17 update, yes. I don't know if that is the 17th this year, they are changing ducking back to fucking. And I, I have to say, like, there's no... Everyone knows what I mean now when I'm like, ducking insane. (laughs) (laughs) And like, the ducks in my neighborhood are kind of assholes. So it all started to fit for me. Plus. To to be able to go back to just fucking. I hope that it corrects a lot of other things. Like the fact that over the years, anytime I try to write something trumps something else, it goes to all caps. Because I guess I used to all caps Trump when I was mad. It's like, that's a word too. I yeah. hope we can just go back to like the Miriam Webster autocorrect and not the weird shit my phone's been doing, but to just get fucking back. I just, I'm I'm stoked for That's it. I can't deal. wait. It'll be you're all going to get text messages the day. It comes <laughs> yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> Incredible. OK, Juanita, are you feeling petty or do you have a sanity corner for us this week? I got a sanity corner because this week has been a motherfucker, to say the least. But the <laughs> one thing that has carried me through the highs and lows of the past seven days is the ultimatum queer love on Netflix. Like, I don't know if y'all are caught up. I'll try to talk. To, oh, we're talk caught about up. This. Oh, we're oh, caught blessed. up. We're blessed. caught up. OK. But for our listeners who aren't, I'll avoid some spoilers, but I think it's fair to give out a couple of MVP awards. Like, you know, first and foremost, the best fucking human on this show, Mal. 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 100%. Like, just a general respect and appreciation for humans feeling whatever the fuck they feel. Like, Mal, I bow down to you. Be like Mal when you grow up, kids. Mal forever. Mal forever. Mal forever. Mal for life. (laughs) Okay, the top villain, at least until you see the motherfucking reunion, Vanessa. Like, what the hell? What the hell? This this person, like, the line that sent me was, oh, my partner would be asexual if it wasn't for me, so I know they're not going to match with anybody else. Bitch, what? Wow. What? It's, it's That's giving... not how that works. <laughs> she is the so chaos messy. candidate. <laughs> chaos candidate exceeds expectations in <sighs> every single episode. Tune in. That's all I'll say for now, but check it out, especially to celebrate, you know, queer love during Pride Month. Yeah, it's the the every, I, I eagerly await every single like drop. Same. It's yes. just like the thing that gets me through. And then once I'm done with it, I'm like, well, now what am I going to watch? <laughs> right. Like, that's, we got that succession feeling. and then we got <laughs> queer love ultimatum. And now like it's only been a week and a half since Succession was gone. Now this is almost <laughs> over. Yeah. yeah, it's there's a uh, there's a new season of Righteous Gemstones coming out. It's a pretty good show. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's a good show. And okay. Sex in the yeah. City Hate Watch is coming in about oh, two weeks. Oh yeah, yeah. Wait, wait, and- wait. Do y'all hate watch for real? For real? I don't want to give them any ratings. Juanita, how many comedy concerts have you been to? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> the details make it entertaining in an entirely different way. Understood. That's fair. <laughs> so, okay. So I'm going to go next. Here's something that I am feeling petty about this week. And it also has to do with Apple. They had some sort of big TED Talk. I don't know. Where a bunch of people did that awkward gesticulation that they always do. Now, what if I told you? that? <laughs> so, so they announced their big new product is this Apple VR headset that costs $3,500, and it's coming out next year. So here's the thing. Google Glass, when it launched, like like a (laughs) decade ago, 
was Thank a giant you. was a giant flop because nobody wants to wear technology on their fucking face. I'm no. sorry. My eyes, my and my mouth like are the most important like sensory I, yeah. Like, I need those. I need those. I don't want to cover my face. I feel like I'm also just too cute to, like, obstruct this goodness. <laughs> yes. But okay, I digress. A hundred percent. And that actually feeds into my next point, which is that when technology that is to be worn on your head is designed, it never takes into account the fact that women might wear these or that yeah. people that have different hairstyles might wear these. Like, Come okay. On. So, like, you're supposed to take, okay, so what if I'm, what if I just got a blowout in my hair? What if it's just perfectly straight and looks exactly how I want it to look because yeah. I have an event? Am I going to put a fucking band on the back of my head yeah. so I can make a person feel like I'm having a meeting in the same room with them? <laughs> like, no, no. Design it's things weird. with, like, make them like I would do, I would be more inclined to like do an opera glass type situation where I can oh. like hold it up and it's a not. spectacle. Yes. <laughs> oh. Yes. A, a monocle. I would do it. I would do. look high tech enough. A VR monocle? Are you kidding me? That looks so <laughs> steampunk. I'd do that. I no, no, no. Take, follow me, y'all. A VR contact lens. Oh, I don't wow. Know. I don't want to put better. it in my... I don't want to put it in my... <laughs> see, so that so my two problems with it is I don't want to wear something on my face. I don't want to put something... Like, that's too close to being inside my body. I don't want tech in my body. I don't even want to wear an Apple Watch. Noted. I, um, and the second thing... that So that that doesn't work for me. But if you're somebody who's like... I'm not going to wear this Apple VR headset because, like, what am I supposed to do with my hair? Um, then the contact lens might work. But also, like, I don't know. Imagine, like, I, I don't want to. I don't want to do that. I don't. Want, I don't want that. <laughs> I don't want it too so close to my brain. And thirty five hundred dollars. Thirty five hundred dollars. Did you yeah. hear the way the crowd like groaned and was like, <laughs> "Hell no!" to that price? <laughs> I did. I did. And it really, and that was one way, the one thing I have in common with the type of person who would attend an Apple <laughs> event was that we all groan at that fucking dumbass headset. I'm not, I mm -hmm. like, I don't, I, I, they're out of ideas. They're out of ideas. Um, and that's fine. Maybe we've, we've had enough ideas and we should do other things instead. I mean, we could rest. We could we rest. Could Imagine. Rest. We could rest. Also, like, for multitasking, like, one of the reasons I like doing things on my phone or, like, having my laptop is because I can, like, look around the room. There's other stuff I can do. Like, if I have a VR headset on, that is what I'm doing. And, like, I I reject that. I, I rebuke yeah. that. Did you see okay. the commercial when the kid is, like, trying to play catch with his father? And I'm like, take that off. Like, why are you, yeah. like, he, it's just weird. It's what? personal. Yeah. The commercials always are like, imagine this really heartwarming but completely rare scenario. And it's like, yeah, but that's not, I don't do, that's not my life. I'm, I don't have any, that's a great commercial, but I don't have anything in common with them. Okay. Shadiqua, feeling petty yes, or sanity quarter? Awesome. Petty. I'm feeling petty. Um, so <laughs> did you all read that uh, Atlantic article about um, Chris Litt? Yes. I devoured it, Shaniqua. I slurped it up and then I put it in the fridge and I had it as leftovers for the next two days. That's, I'm how, dead. Much, that's how much I loved that article. I loved it too. Like it took me a little while to read. And because I have Twitter brain, I had to take breaks and read little short things so my brain could recharge to finish reading it. But I like 
It was so good. And then to like see this morning that he's leaving. I mean, I read that article and I was like, he's not going to last. There's no way he's going to last. There is no way he's going to last. Anyone, I mean, all the stuff he did, his kind of like, oh, we just need to, I guess he's calling it being objective and just stick to the facts. His, what was that rain analogy? Like, you cannot like the rain. You can like the rain, but you can't tell me it's not raining, even though it sounds like he had people who said it's not raining on the show pretty often. 100%. 100%. Um, and, you know, just all of the stuff that he did, but thinking he was just like smarter than everyone. I will say he had a really thoughtful insight that I think it was too late for him when he said, I wish I would have come in, understood the organization instead of just trying to come in and, and change everything. Look but at that. That's like leadership. That is how you enter new things that you have not been a part of and you see how it works because you you can't just assume from the outside that you are going to just fix everything. Um, but yeah, I think the big, big thing, though, separate from everything he did at CNN specifically was why would you let a journalist follow you around for that long and have oh, that much access? And you've you just know started. the theory. You know oh, the wait, theory. I don't know. that. What is the theory? That that CNN let him do it because they knew he'd shoot himself in the foot and get fired. Oh my God! <laughs> and he's fired. So wow, the ultimate self-own. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. They wow. called it self self-immolation by Atlantic profile, essentially. I mean, Aaron, Yikes. what the favorite quote you sent me was from his trainer. <laughs> the tra- I, I was the entertained record. by the trainer. I was entertained uh, by the trainer. Yeah, the trainer was my favorite trainer one. Who trainer get quoted? I don't know. Him. That, that trainer should maybe be the new boss at CNN because I think he had some pretty good ideas. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, that, I loved it. I don't know why I enjoyed it so much, but it was just thorough. I mean, it was well-written. And, and yeah, he got a lot of insight from employees who, I don't know. That's just good journalism. I just think that's why I appreciated it. And so. Yeah, Tim Alberta is a great media reporter for sure. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and good riddance, I guess. I, like he was yeah. fine in his previous jobs, it seems. So maybe yeah. he'll land somewhere that's more appropriate for him. Yeah. You know, it's just kind of men who think they know everything. It's just nice to see them realize they don't. Yeah. Yeah. Succession vibes for sure. Um, okay. On that note, that is all the time we have for this week's episode of Hysteria. Shaniqua and Juanita, thank you so much for joining. Juanita, thanks. Come back again, please. 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 I like y'all we, so much. You got to come back for um, for our Barbie movie episode, which we are definitely yes. going to do. I, I, I but you, you know, I'm going to keep it 100 because <laughs> if I'm not feeling it, you'll hear it. <laughs> good, good. Uh, Alyssa, thank you so much for being my ride or die per usual. Thank you to Rep Becca Ballant for joining us. And listeners, thank you. There will be more hysteria next week. Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Reston is our senior producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. And Alyssa Mastromonaco is our co-producer. Fiona Pestana is our associate producer. The show is engineered and edited by Jordan Cantor. Our video producers are Rachel Gajewski and Megan Patzel. And thank you to Julia Beach, Ewa Okulate, Amelia Montooth, Adia Hill, and David Tolls for production support every week. Don't forget to follow us at Crooked Media on Instagram and Twitter for more original content, host takeovers, and other community events. (laughs) 
Money can't buy you happiness, but it definitely can't hurt. Learning the basics about everything from budgeting, investing, and even buying a car is essential to set yourself up for success. That's why I'm so excited about a new podcast from Marketplace called Financially Inclined. Each week, host Yanli Espinal talks to experts about the money lessons she wishes she learned sooner, the ones that can help us live life on our own terms. Listen to Financially Inclined wherever you get your podcasts.